SQL Down Under is a podcast for professionals working in the SQL Server community. SQL Server is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions expressed during the podcast are individual opinions and may not reflect the opinions of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing Show 53 with guest Grant Paisley. Our guest today is Grant Paisley. Grant's a SQL Server MVP, SSAS maestro, and founder of Angry Koala, who's a Microsoft Gold business intelligence partner based in Sydney, Australia. Grant's the president of the SQL Server user group in Sydney and created httpreportserver.com, a community reporting site. His books include SQL Server 2008 Analysis Services with MDX, Microsoft SQL Server Reporting Service Recipes, and SQL Server 2012, Reporting Services 2012. If you don't see Grant on stage at a user group or tech ed in the US, you might see him on the water kite surfing in Hawaii, downhill mountain biking in Whistler, or playing tennis at home with his wife and three teenage girls. Grant has also recently joined the Rural Fire Service, matching his affinity for adrenaline exploits with the community. So welcome, Grant. Hi, how are you going? <laughs> All good. And so what I get everyone to do when they first come on the show is tell us how did you ever come to be involved with SQL Server? Um, I got in, I originally was using, a, I was building a data warehouse before I knew what a data warehouse was for Optus as it turned out a couple of years after they were instigated. And uh, a woman came along and said, uh, I've got this great thing called Power, uh, Power Play, which is a Cognos product. And I took one of that yep. and thought that was fantastic. So I chased them for about six months and wound up doing a bit of uh, Power Play and Cognos uh, work. And then um, I saw a presentation done on analysis services and said, man, this is much better for an enterprise. Uh, for instance, when you do a product dimension, there is only one product dimension instead of uh, several of them that you could with PowerPlay. So uh, basically yep. I took one look at that and said, that's the future and got stuck into that uh, on a project. Uh, first one was with Travelland and uh, mm. building a, a system for them using uh, analysis services and reporting and things. And it was a lot of fun. Unfortunately, all the arrows were red and pointing down. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Not long after that, uh, ANSET went under and so did Travelland, but uh, it wasn't for lack of all the information we were giving them anyway. <laughs> yeah, so they, they knew why they were going down. <laughs> <laughs> That's just right, yeah. Oh. Oh. Help them with the why. <laughs> and so look, Passionate areas at the moment. Uh, oh, I also should mm. mention uh, you noted the rural fire service. And uh, when I did get to visit your place uh, recently, uh, you, I noticed you were doing the rural fire service thing with the hoses and all that. And <laughs> given the fire situation in Australia over the last few weeks, um, what's the situation in your area? Um, we're we're actually being on pretty high alert. Uh, twice we've actually gone down to the station and waited around during the day just in case something happened. 
Uh, and in mm. fact, I had my first real experience. I've only recently joined the last year, um, and uh, it was actually a trailer fire across the road, and it was on Friday, which is the hottest day ever recorded in Sydney. Yeah, in Sydney, that was an amazing yeah, day. Wasn't it? It was forty-six uh, degrees, and it was uh, 46, oh, forty-six. And so, yeah, what's that in Fahrenheit for the US? Ah, geez, uh, well over a hundred and. Something, I don't know. It's yeah, something like that. I do remember the worst day we had in Melbourne uh, since I've been here was 46.4. And uh, yeah, again, that's like 117 or something. And uh, it, just walking outside, it felt like walking into an oven. I mean, it was just an incredible feeling. Well, it was also it was very dry as well. So it was literally mm. very much like an oven. What was interesting was, yeah, this is my first experience of actually a, a full-on responding to a fire it was actually a trailer full of wood in a in a carport across the road from the mm. station and we were there and my the other guy was there and we were permission to respond and we weren't allowed to because we didn't have an OIC and we were waiting there ready to go and they said okay yeah, yeah permission so we raced across the road and rolled the hoses out and the hat was falling out of my eyes and so <laughs> it, was, it was a bit of a comedy errors but I got the fire out and it was funny it wasn't hot at all even though it was like hottest day on record ever because I think the yeah. adrenaline just absolutely pumping and then but I came back to the station oh, I was friggin' well dripping in sweat it was just like this mm. so yeah when the when it really hits it's going to be uh, pretty well but basically the last few years we had a lot of rain so there's a yeah. lot of material in the bush and we haven't had a chance of a lot of back burning uh, a lot yeah, of that's uh, right. hazard people reduction. seem to see the the fire as some sort of unnatural thing but it's not is it it's uh, I mean uh, it's just part of the natural cycle I mean if the, the yeah the idea is you, you actually want it to burn every seven years is is what yeah. the Australian books it likes that um, if you don't do it longer then it burns too intensely and it creates problems so yeah. um, anyway and you don't get the fertilizer back into the soil from the yeah, no. from all the, yeah, that's wonderful. But listen, in terms of SQL Server things, mm. mostly what I've seen you presenting on in recent years has been around Power Pivot. Now, a lot of the folk who listen to the show probably are not totally across Power Pivot. So maybe if you could just start with some details, like why, why does Power Pivot matter to SQL Server people? Um, Power Pivot matters because it's a tool that really is going to give you insight to your data very easily and particularly from a SQL professional point of view who maybe hasn't come from the BI point of view it's much closer to uh, basically tables and relationships in fact that is what it is mm. uh, it's tabular uh, the way it works is it's an in-memory store so when the data loads up it loads it into memory and compresses it right down um, and but, but it, literally from a Oh, I guess from a SQL point of view, even your own data, or whether it be you know log type data or performance data, or you know hours worked, or really anything, you you can load it up straight into Excel. It's just a it's a free add-in. You download it uh, from Microsoft. Uh, you need SQL uh, so Excel 2010 or 2013. Uh, it's built in. It's already rolled in. And uh, yeah, basically grab the add-in, connect to the data, suck the data in, create relationships, and then the way it's expressed in Excel is through pivot tables. So hopefully you will yeah. have experienced, or you know, listeners would have uh, played with pivot tables. So it's like having a pivot table on steroids because now when you're slicing and dicing the pivot table, it's actually acting against that in-memory um, tabular store. So very, mm. very powerful. Um, I did some work. Uh, well, in my uh, demonstrations, I run through some of my clients, one of which was 
a organization that does ATM transactions. And literally, yep. uh, they took weeks to um, actually start the beginning. Effectively, the government in Victoria were going to take ATMs out of gambling establishments because gambling establishments mm-hmm. in the pubs is very popular in Australia and it appears we may have a couple of gambling issues. So they yep. asked the people that look after the ATMs how much money a gambler is taking out per day on average. Mm-hmm. In order to do that, they had to load up all the data and you know aggregate it by by uh, day and card and location and all that sort of thing. And it took them weeks to try and do all of this because it was just difficult. They probably didn't have our SQL skills also. Um, mm. But anyway, literally pulled all the data in, 35 million rows. Um, it was seven months' worth of data. Every single transaction loaded straight into the system and you know, within a few hours able to uh, give those sort of answers very quickly. So yeah, very, very Yeah, so time, time to a solution is probably a really big issue. Yeah, I think I think where SQL professionals have a huge advantage is we understand data. And mm-hmm. the thing I like coming from a BI background is analysis services is the traditional multidimensional is, is probably more um, mature, if you like, and it's got some pretty yep. neat things you can do. Um, but you can get to the, I guess, the 80-20 rule, or, mm-hmm. and I think more like 90-10 or 95-5, yeah. Very, very quickly and very easily and as good as a traditional multi dimensional queue mm. with a small amount of effort because the traditional stuff is quite fiddly, you know, it's annoyingly yep. fiddly. <laughs> and you would have experienced yeah. this, Greg. It's just Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it, it gets in your way probably more than Power Pivot, although Power Pivot when it's inside Excel I've also started to find quite frustrating. So I've actually now mm. moved to doing a lot more with the tabular database. So that's the yeah, same. Yeah, so designing in Visual Studio and yep. deploying against uh, analysis services tabular at the back end. Correct. So from a user interface point of view, you're doing, it's pretty well identical to what you're doing in Power Pivot. The trouble with Power Pivot in Excel is it's so chatty to Excel itself. It means when yep. you keep making modifications and changing things, it says, it goes to Excel, oh, I just made this change. It says, hang on a minute, hang on, I've got to check all my sheets and see whether that screws all my pivot tables up. And it goes, bang, 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 bang. And eventually it comes back and says, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, that's all right, you can do that. And when you're trying to do very quick iterative model changes, it becomes very frustrating very quickly. So, yeah. so the first tip, if you like, is if you are doing development work where you're developing the model in Excel, that's fine but don't have a whole bunch of pivot tables actually hooked up to the model while you're developing it. Just have one or two, because otherwise yeah. it's just, you're just going to be in a lot of frustration. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, I did find that I managed to break the designer quite a lot more in Excel yeah. than in Visual Studio as well. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, I really think it's <laughs> Excel's fault, if you like. <laughs> Yeah. But in defense of Excel, it's a very complex product and you know a very complex relationship when you're changing a database in underneath the visual layer. I think the issue is in that environment, you're combining the visualization with the data, and I think mm-hmm. that is an issue. Well, that's it's two-edged sword. One thing is it's fantastic because you can get things up and running really quickly with reports, but the bad thing is the reports and the things are in one place instead of separating them out. So. Yeah. No, indeed. And so 
the changes for PowerPivot itself in uh, in the latest versions? Yeah, so the latest versions, um, for instance, in Excel 2013, uh, it's actually baked right into Excel 2013, mm. which is which is really nice. Uh, the big one of the big ones, of course, is we've now got mapping uh, built in to Excel. Uh, so literally, you just need the name of the suburb in there or a, a geolocation, a long and lat, basically, and throw that in. Uh, we did some great mm -hmm. work with um, one of the uh, car manufacturers here in Australia. And one of the things mm -hmm. that car manufacturers do here is they give all their data back to a central organisation. And that central organisation then feeds that back to all the other car companies. So the car companies know exactly who sold what where. And so yeah. basically we grabbed that data, geocoded the locations, and then we're doing market share analysis with you know, pie graphs, which I hate, except in, unless there's only yeah. two segments. But with two segments, it's good. You know, I want to compare, I don't know, um, Ford with Holden. And I can yeah. sort of drill in New South Wales, and I can do different regions of New South Wales. and and uh, then start slicing, well, how are we going in the small car market or the medium mm -hmm. size or SUVs and just really look from a location point of view, you know, just what's going on. And very, very quick to knock together. And uh, in this case, uh, we built that, um, in this case, in Excel 2010. And we yep. published that to SharePoint. Uh, once it's in SharePoint, it uses a thing called Excel Services, which is basically a thin browser version of Excel. Mm. And uh, they're now consuming their information directly on their intranet. So yeah. uh, pretty powerful. So we should probably talk about um, just the different flavors of this available. So first up, we have Power Pivot, which we're saying is the free add-on for Excel. Yes. So, yep. So that's... Um, what, so what does that provide you? So that provides the tabular engine in the, the background. Uh, when you're running it, really it's a, a program running in parallel to Excel. And you'll notice when you basically click on the Excel icon, it's sort of all that's happening is it's just going to the Excel window. So it's just jumping yeah, between the two, two of them. I, I often see it like a parasite. It's it's sort of like a, <laughs> uh, it's it's sitting there running, and Excel's uh, almost unaware that it's there. Almost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's quite unaware sometimes. Um, yes, yeah, so, so, and yeah, literally that free download away you go. Um, so that's the first version. That's the one that's the mm -hmm. lowest hanging fruit, if you like, because literally yep. you just go down, download it, and it's an add-in, and away you go. Um, yeah. The other, what other versions? Well, we've got, we talked about the baked-in version in 2013, so that's really just... Well, I suppose in 2008 R2, all we had was the Power Pivot one, but then if you wanted to share your workbook with somebody else, the only option really available uh, was either to send a workbook or to start using Excel services. So maybe just mention what that is. So. Right. So basically, the well, one of the things we haven't mentioned, which hopefully is obvious, is that this download and PowerPivot is free, which is a phenomenal yeah. you know, gift, if you like. Mm. But of course, the reason that they've gifted us this wonderful tool is, is that sharing. If I want to share yeah. this to other people, these workbooks can be up to you know, quite a few hundred meg, and it's a bit hard to share that. And so yeah. what they, what we do have is the version that runs on the server, and that's um, I don't know what's the technical words for it. Greg, you're pretty better at this. 
Well, I was going to say the first version of that for 2008 R2, yeah, was basically we had to push it up into Excel services and they had basically, uh, yeah, an engine that ran inside SharePoint that was able to... Uh, Excel services normally allows you to see Excel spreadsheets in a browser, but it didn't have the bits to deal with the power pivot. And I suppose what you're really buying the SQL Server license for is the bits that uh, allow it to deal with the power pivot parts of the workbook uh, inside there. But yeah, I think a lot of people, uh, when they were doing the sharing, didn't necessarily want to go down the uh, the SharePoint path necessarily. Uh, and I think the other big criticism was that it really didn't have a very good developer surface um, when sitting inside Excel. Yeah, as we discussed. Yeah. So now we have in 2012, so we're saying the uh, for Visual Studio or SQL Server data tools, uh, we've now got the uh, tabular designer for that. And how have you found that? Um, well, that's I was struggling because uh, for a project I was doing, I was still playing in the power pivot world and having the mm. usual model change conflicts and uh, things sort of blowing up halfway and you know, not what we expect in terms of yeah. uh, experience, if you like. And my uh, mate, Glenn Llewellyn, who I, which he, you know as well as my general manager, yes. he'd, he'd already gone to Tabula. He was actually jumping into Tabula, doing all the stuff, and then putting it back into Power Pivot. <laughs> and, <laughs> and eventually I saw the light and, and uh, now been doing it back in, uh, in the Tabula model. And uh, it's, it's, yeah. it's actually a, it's nice. It's much closer to what we're used to when we're doing analysis yeah. services in terms of environment, and it, you know, it's very not that different to what you're doing in Power Pivot. So, you, you know, don't mm. get too scared off the, by the fact that you're now inside Visual Studio. The actual, yeah. the way you're operating is is pretty well the same. Of course, we get some extra features once we do that as well. Mm. Uh, we get uh, security, so yep. we can get role-based security now uh, in there, which is pretty neat. And there's other things I can't think of. Told my head. What else did we get? Oh, uh, I know the. Um, oh, things like petitions. Petitioning and is a big one. Yes, indeed. Yeah, but yeah. because uh, basically in Power Pivot you always do a full refresh. So one of the disadvantages mm. you're always pulling in every bit of data. Now this day and age, particularly if it's on your server somewhere, it's not often not that big a problem. Particularly if you do it overnight or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, having petitioning obviously allows you to petition by day or, or month or mm. year, whatever it is. So, yeah. And I think that actually raises an interesting issue too, is that even though the Power Pivot add-on's free and you could have people all over the building running their own spreadsheet, the last thing you really want is everybody refreshing the spreadsheet with enormous amounts of data across the network. Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a few things from, I guess, the IT's point of view or in, you know, and one of them is if when you're setting up a SharePoint environment and you've got, say, some of these uh, Power Pivot workbooks, um, you basically have a blessed library. Uh, now, the blessed library is where, you know, everything's checked and we know it's all running and um, basically be scheduled overnight and all those sort of things. Um, mm. But then what you can do is you have, like, user play areas, if you like. So this is another library where users actually upload their Power Pivot uh, spreadsheets and share it with others. And there are tools within SharePoint which allow you to have a look at what's being used, i.e. how many people are querying it, etc. And if you keep an eye on that, you can say, okay, well, hang on. Out of this user group of things, this one's becoming really popular. Maybe we should bring that into the blessed area. 
So it's a bit like yeah. the users are out there actually doing a bit of prototyping for you. But I think coming back to uh, if we draw your SQL professionals, I think our role um, is becoming more of a well, data governance, if you like, or giving people a nice, a nice clean data. You know, here's the nice, mm. nice set of transactions. They're all clean. Here's a set of customers. They're all clean, ready to go. Because I think one of my things I get on my high horse about is users don't actually want to create these really complex models in general. No. They just want to do what I call decoration. And decoration yep. is I've got data for New South Wales and Queensland and Victoria. I want to create something called Eastern Seaboard, New South, uh, Eastern Seaboard and Western Seaboard or something. In other mm -hmm. words, all they're doing is grouping things at higher levels. So it's just a, it's decoration. It's just little things they want to do, and and PowerPivot allows you to do that really, really easily. Um, literally, you you create a set of data. In fact, I've done this myself, where I've got the core data of you know uh, some sort of customer information or something that's peers. I pull that back into Excel using a pivot table, and then I copy that into another sheet say, product IDs or whatever it happens to be. And then I create my own column and create my own grouping yeah. of those things. And I push that back into PowerPivot again, link it back into the original product table in this case, and now I've got uh, some new ways of grouping that together. In fact, we did some work for um, what's a big retail chain called uh, Sports, something Sports. What's that called? Mm, anyway, not sure, but yeah. basically... They were bought by another company. Uh, they needed to get rid of a whole lot of stock, so we brought in all the inventory and how old the inventory was. And in PowerPivot, they had a spreadsheet that listed um, the categories of products and a, a, a discount schedule. So if it was over three months, then you know 30%. If it was over six months, then 60% and whatever. And so they could vary the schedule of percentages. And all you did was back in using a, a DAX statement, which we haven't spoken about, but DAX is yep. the language um, that you use to speak to the back end, very mm -hmm. um, Excel-like, that purposely try to make it as Excel-like as possible. Uh, there's a few exceptions, but in general, they just brought a whole lot of things across. So we used some DAX statements, and all we did was look up, you know, I've got this product, and I've got five of them, and I go, okay, well, it's in this category, and it's, you know, it's six months old, so therefore I apply a discount to 60%. So I now know the value of that stock in terms of the discounted regime. And also I can bring in the sales over the last month to see how much of the stuff has been sold down because of these yeah. discounts and what money or making or losing, whatever it happens to be. So, mm. so that's, I guess, a bit more sophisticated decoration. But really I think our role is much more uh, getting the core data in order for our users to mm. really enable them. To, uh, yeah, I tend to, to agree. The, uh, the, I, a lot of the material I read from Microsoft at first sort of suggested that users would be the people who could easily build models and things, and that's just not my experience at all. I, I find that the typical user doesn't want to know about that, and even the fairly power user doesn't want to know about that. Um, invariably, they want us to build the model, uh, even for fairly simple things, uh, and then they will add to it. They will add additional tables maybe occasionally but mostly they want to play around in the spreadsheet and not in the in the model yeah I'd, I'd actually absolutely agree with that uh, and 
the some of the enhancements I'd love to see in that, in that space is the ability for us to build the base model and the users not being able to change that, but being able yeah. to do decoration outside of that base model. And I think that would be like an object-orientated sort of environment. I think that would be very mm. powerful. For instance, you could have a tabular back end which has the model and everything and then some sort of power pivot front end that inherits inherits the core stuff and then does the decoration with new tables and manipulations and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah look, I, I suppose you could kind of do that now. So the, uh, um, I suppose we should mention so that, look, the idea of being able to design this in Visual Studio is that we now use analysis services as the back end. So the server now does the refreshes and yep. and hold, holds the golden copy of the data yep. and all of that rather than the users. And in that case, it's uh, the tools at the front end like Excel just become more sort of client tools. Um, and so Power Pivot, we should mention also in Excel, can connect to tabular models or even to Excel uh, workbooks with Power Pivot that are sitting up in Excel. So they, so you can, when you're running Excel at the front end, connect to a source of a model at the back end. Yes. Yeah, so that's so the beauty of that is that's in fact you know probably 99% of how my users uh, worked in our business intelligence environments that we created were mm. multi-dimensional. And that was you had a server which had the cube in it, and you had Excel with a pivot table and the pivot table pointed off to the server and um, yep. gave you the data. In that case, it's just, you can just slice and dice the data. What we're talking about is you can do that directly against the tabular model in exactly the same way. In fact, it uses the same language under the yeah. covers. But you also have the ability to use the tabular as a data source for PowerPivot. So you can actually bring in the data uh, and do some of those, I guess, more sophisticated decoration, I guess, would be the yeah. way to do it. So, yeah. No, indeed. Yeah, I find, as I said, the other thing I do notice, the uh, as you said, the thing about time to market, we've had projects, oh, I remember one in or two uh, very, very similar ones where people had literally spent years trying to build websites to expose data to their core clients mm. um, from within their organisation and literally building, uh, in the first case, we did... Um, Power Pivot workbooks and push them up into Excel services, and literally the whole project took maybe two or three weeks. And in what was presented to the users, then they far preferred that to anything they'd they'd ever had uh, out of the website that they'd spent years trying to build. Um, and I think it and I had similar um, thing at another site with a sort of a tabular model where again exactly the same sort of thing applies. Um, it's just it was amazing how quickly a project came together and got beyond the point that they had previously achieved with a whole lot of effort. Yeah, the the part that I found absolutely yeah we we have some clients doing very that we've done very similar things with it. Seems there's more and more situations now where organisations are trying to share you know some of their data with their clients, and um, yeah. you know we we're getting better fits for that now. The, the one that got me and, and so tantalizingly close for what the sort of things I want to do is the Office 365 environment. Mm -hmm. And literally, like, uh, I was on the TAP program for Excel 2013, and, you know, I did my Power Pivot thing, and, you know, that was all good, well and good. And then in the Save As environment, it was saying, oh, in the Share environment, so oh, do you want to share it to your Office 365 setup and save it into there? And I went, yeah, okay. 
and then it's, yeah. it, it did the save, and then it said, popped up and said, oh, did you want to, did you want to share this with anyone? Just give, give me a couple of email addresses. All right. Yeah. You've got to be kidding me. All right. So I gave a couple of my guys the email <laughs> addresses and, of course, they receive an email. And when they open the email and click on the link, it takes them to Office 365. They log in. Yep. And not only can they open up that spreadsheet and download it onto their own machine, but actually in the thin browser version, which is the Excel services type of thing in Office 365, yeah. they've got full fidelity. They can slice and die. So that it's it's it was absolutely fantastic. Now that's all the good stuff. The limitations are I think what's the the size hundred meg or something, I think from memory. Yeah. I think there was a Yeah, not sure on the size of Yeah, that for one. Office three sixty five I think there's a limit of a hundred meg, but a hundred meg in compressed data is actually <laughs> a fair bit of data. It's a lot of data, it's, yeah. It's a lot of data. So you know Yeah, I found it was interesting when um uh, Donald Farmer was running around doing those initial demonstrations of Power Pivot, and he had his movie database that had about 110 million rows in it, yeah. and it had a lot of data about each movie hiring. Yeah. Um, and when he saved it, I mean, it impressed me that it was 186 meg, which, I mean, that's still a sizable spreadsheet. Yeah. But what was interesting is it was one and a half bytes per row <laughs> average, and yeah. given the fact it's Unicode data, so we're talking about less than one character average per row was storing the entire row of data. So uh, uh, the the degree of compression is really something to behold. Yeah, and uh, I should point out at this point that very much like all Microsoft's products uh, in this environment, it's very easy to add lots of columns of information in tables. And I'd just like to point out that in very loudly and clearly that don't do that. Just yes, <laughs> only bring in the things that you need. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think that is something that's hard for people to wrap their head around too, is that in other tools, like for example, if I declare a calculated column uh, in SQL Server, I can choose if it's persisted or not. But when I add a calculated column in uh, Power Pivot or in the tabular model, that's right, it's going to become persisted data inside that model when I do that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, there's advantages and disadvantages. Obviously, disadvantages, you've actually got a, net, a bit of extra space taken up. The advantage, though, and, and this is one of the huge advantages I see of tabular environments, is that bottom-up calculation. Um, mm. which is very difficult in a multidimensional environment because by nature you're always sort of slicing from the top down and grouping things together, whereas if you do a calculator column, the only time that calculation is done is when you first do it in the model because, as we just discussed, it actually stores the information physically in the model. Yeah. The disadvantage is it takes up a bit of space. The advantage, though, it's in the model, so it's not having to calculate yeah. it, and so you get this phenomenal speed of uh, things yeah. sort of bubbling up that you've created on the uh, that you've created in the model. That's right, so. and you get that same compression occurring on the calculated value as well, because yeah, it is stored as part of the data. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. The calculated things, I think, as a general thing, isn't uh, as bad as bringing in, for instance, a product dimension or product information yep. and have 150 columns. I think yes. Because it's like you can, and, and our, our nature is to help our users and say, oh, it's got to be helpful if I give them everything, then they can do anything they like. And mm. you just screw them up because, one, yeah. the whole model's got to be slow because it's column of storage, so everything's been stored uh, column-wise. Um, and two, 
it's going to be really hard to use because there's going to be so much stuff in there. It's going to be really confusing. So the the secret, particularly when you're new to this stuff and new users are new to it, is put in the absolute minimum because if you put in the absolute min minimum, it'll be fast, it'll be easy to reload, um, but the main thing is it'll be easy to use and the users will start using yeah. it. And then once they're confident and they start understanding how to do pivot tables in Excel and all those sort of things, we're now in a situation where, okay, now you can maybe do a few more complicated things. And I, I might point out uh, about perspectives which exist in uh, Power Pivot and also in the table mm. environment. And were added in 2012. Added yeah. in 2012. Um, basically, it's like a view on a, on a table, literally. And when you mm -hmm. create a new perspective, it just gives you a list of all the things that are in your model and you just tick the things that you want to expose. So we yep. use that a lot. So, for instance, we'll create a sales perspective which just has the main sales measures and just the main sales um, dimension attributes, if you like. Um, mm. And the beauty of that and is... Not, not from a security point of view, but just from an ease of navigation point yeah, of view. Yeah, be careful. Everyone sort of thinks, oh, this is a great way to secure my mm -hmm. queue, but it, it doesn't work like that, <laughs> yep. unfortunately. Um, but yeah, just from an ease of use, so that if you've got financial data as well as, say, sales data as well as inventory data, then users can get themselves in quite a knot quite quickly when they start picking things from finance. Mm and then slicing by something in sales which has nothing to do with it, then the numbers start repeating and they get quite confusing. Whereas if you create a perspective specifically for, say, P&L and something for sales, then it's, there's two things. One, it's, it's easier to use because the things make sense, but also you're cutting down on the volume of data in terms of attributes and things, and so, again, it's easy to use. But the beauty of doing it in that way is for your really power user that really does understand everything, you can actually open up the whole thing. So they can yeah. do combinations and maybe create a calculation like, you know, how much money did I make per um, employee, <laughs> things mm. like that. So, yeah. As well as community resources such as this podcast, SQL Down Under offer mentoring services and both private and public training options. If you need to get your project back on track or if you need to get it off to a good start, why not give us a call? We have also recently introduced a series of online courses available in both Asia-Pacific and US-UK time zones. In particular, the first course that's offered in this series is Query Performance Tuning. You'll find details at www.sqldownunder.com. Now, in terms of, uh, we briefly mentioned before DAC, so um, maybe just defining what you what DAX is used for and okay so there's so DAX is used in a in two ways uh, bottom up or top down so bottom up is when we're talking about creating a new column so for instance if I had a sales cube and I had a uh, how much somebody paid for something and I had very cleverly saved how much it cost it but in that particular row in the um, in my transaction, uh, well, in this case, a, a, an item, a uh, detail row, uh, that I could do a profit by simply doing a tax calculation which said sales uh, minus cost of goods sold. And yep. that's about the simplest tax calculation you could do. You yeah, get so a, this is creating a measure, literally, in that case. And we mentioned calculated columns before well, as basically, another possibility. Well, this is probably a good example, and I hope not to be too confusing, but 
In this mm. case, it wouldn't. If I'm doing it in the model in a column, and create a new column in that item uh, in the yes, sales. Yes, that would be a calculated that's column. That's a calculated column, and then when you're in Power Pivot, if you brought that into the data area, then it would do some of profit, and that would give you a yep. profit. Now that become a measure. Yes. So a measure is defined either on the fly when you drag something in that you can add up, for instance, account or in this or sales mm. or profit, uh, or you can define your own. And when you define yep. your own, again, that's using DAX. So, for instance, if I want to create a profit calculation uh, measure, which is effectively top down, then I would say profit equals um, sum of the profit column, and that yep. would give me that information. Now. Something to keep in mind is that if you do a tabular model and that's sitting off on a server and you connect to that using Excel, then pivot table, I don't, you can't create a measure on the fly. So mm. you actually have to preempt it by creating measures for the user. So you create a sales measure, which is some of the sales column and, and things like that. So you actually have to pre-prepare mm. that, which I don't think is a bad thing anyway. I, I think. I yep. like doing that. Yeah, look, I, I think it's a good idea to have the how those things are done defined at the server whenever you can. I mean, because, yeah, otherwise you can easily end up with uh, everybody in the company has their own formula for working out profitability or something like that, and you, you don't want that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and then you can get into more and more complex uh, calculations. With, and because the, the environment is in memory, We've got the um, advantage where you can literally ripple through all the, really every row and do calculations on the fly and bubble them up and all sorts of things. But yeah. one of the one example, which is a, a sort of a medium complexity, if you like, is something I use quite a lot now, and and that's one where you're trying to work out what's happening at a point in time. And mm. so, for instance, this client rented out uh, equipment, uh, computer equipment, and uh, things like that and uh, software and all sorts of stuff. And so they had a rent start date and they had a end date where they finished renting and handed it back. Yep. So that's basically start date and end date. So what you could do is you could create a measure which basically says account of, um, uh, at any point in time. So that's your inventory, mm -hmm. if you like, or your, what you're renting yep. out. And that just says give me everything, add up every single row, count, also count the number of rows where the date that I happen to be slicing by in my date dimension is greater than the start date and less than the end date. Yeah. And that's actually a bit tricky in the multidimensional environment and it just mm. falls out really quickly in this environment and it's super fast. And that can yeah. be applied to projects, you know, what projects have I got running at the moment? Um, mm. You know, servers, you know, what's actually running at the moment or not running at the moment or all that mm. sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's interesting. Some of the things that are different in terms of the speed, like I, I notice, uh, for example, distinct counts in uh, multidimensional models are always part of the uh, pain level. Yeah. Um, but they're the sort of thing that in the tabular model are just so fast. Yeah, we have to clarify that a little bit. It's um, So the underlying... In 
the underlying structure for distinct count is absolutely brilliant in tabula because effectively it's columnar storage and columnar storage yes. basically <laughs> finds the distinct values. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's so what it does. It's already got the answer. Yes, it's already got the answer. Yeah. So, so the engine is phenomenal at doing distinct counts for very large numbers of dimensional yep. values and things. The challenge is that the model doesn't support multi-values natively and that means if I set up a set of relationships for instance between a bank account and, and several and the customers and me and my wife are both customers that have that bank account um, so if we put customers down the side you'd want to see my balance and Sue's balance mm. it both appear the same number and at the bottom though those two things don't get added together now yeah. the model doesn't support that it does in multi-dimensional you can actually model it and it just works what you have to do in um, tabula is you have to create a specific measure and that measure traverses the relationship and gives you the distinct counts mm. so yeah. Um, so yeah the the modeling of yeah, so, in, well, in particular I'm, I'm many to many. what i'm talking about is many to many not distinct distinct yeah. is very quick in fact marco russo has a wonderful article uh, called the many to many revolution and uh, he's got version two of that out and it talks specifically about how to model a whole lot of these things in tabular models, and I might put a link to that in the show notes as well. Yeah, and in uh, fact, one technique that um, that does, uh, another way of looking at this, if you like, is because it is so good at distinct counts, what we've done in a few of our clients is actually created a table which is a, a cross-join of the values. Yeah. So, for instance... Uh, You've got teachers and students and classes. Mm. So if I do a cross-join of those things and just create a big table with all the combinations and then run distinct counts on teachers and students and classes, yep. then I can do any combination of those. So I can grab a teacher and yep. see what students they have or what classes or grab a mm. class and see whose teachers are looking after, etc. So one of the things that I guess is a little bit different in tabular that we tend to do a little bit is we will sometimes be, you know, basically do these cross, cross product type cross stack product, tables yeah. and then use the advantage of that distinct count to uh, give the information we need. So, yeah, it's quite cool. One other little change I mentioned too with DAX in 2012 is that it became a query language as well, um, where up to 2008 R2, it really was just defining measures and calculated columns. But uh, yes. but now, yeah, it's um, also become, it's got the evaluate verb and we can now issue queries, which is what some of the tools do. And so uh, that's sort of leading us to power view is the next one. So if I look at front ends to tabular models, yes. Excel's the, the obvious client. Yep. Um, and that's pivot tables it, in Excel, yeah. And but PowerView was originally a way of analysing that in Excel Services and SharePoint and Silverlight based. Um, one of the big changes in Excel 2013 is the inclusion of PowerView within Excel. Yes. So basically, PowerView is the wonderful um, visualisation tool, uh, very easy to put information together. Um, having said that, it takes a little while to get your head around some of the relationships that's going on when you're on the canvas and doing things because you've got yep. the context of, you know, am I filtering this chart or am I filtering the whole page, if that makes sense. So yes. There's a few things. Where you'll get there just by playing around and eventually you sort of get it. But really it's 
it's a wonderful environment for users. We get huge uptake uh, when users play with this because it's exactly what they want to do. They want to just click on a slicer and see all the information change. And, and this wonderful environment where if you set up bar graphs, for instance, if you click on a, a, on a bar graph of, I don't know, customers, and you've got all these products, then if you click on that customer, you can see what influence that customer has had on the product information. Yeah. Now, just one of the tips, if you like, is if you use measures which are more like ratios rather than absolute values, then you can see things over and under indexing, so yeah. as, as ratios, and we've done that uh, we've done that a fair bit now, and it's very, very powerful. Uh, in fact, I must publish something we did, which is public information, which is a uh, the data from all the universities about the quality of their courses. They're now every mm. few years they're now rated from one to five about the quality of that particular course. Now, this is all yep. public information in New South Wales, and it was awful, awful trying to extract it. And so we've actually brought that into, in fact, Mark Fitzpatrick, one of our guys, has brought that together mm. in Power Pivot, and we must actually publish that somewhere so people can have a look, because even for my daughters, mm. it was fascinating. So Useful info, yeah. Yeah, and, and that was, the point of that was we used that indexing thing, so you can click on a, a particular uh, university and see whether they're over or, under, uh, over mm. or underperforming in the particular areas. Very, very cool. Yeah, I think PowerView is an interesting visualization tool, and it's kind of interesting that people are always like working with the live data. I find, again, the big thing to worth mentioning, though, too, is the experience somebody has in PowerView uh, also goes back to how well you've done work in the model. And so they added a whole lot of reporting properties and things to the model uh, that make life better in PowerView. Yeah, that's a very, very good point. Um, Especially when you see these slick demos and somebody drags something on and all of a sudden there's a photo there and you know it's all formatted in the right way with the name of the product and all those sort yep. of things. That's because under the covers in the model itself we have flagged particular attributes as well this is the photograph, this is the main thing we want to see when you drag things on. Yep. So it's worth while looking into that for your users in tagging those sort of things. Uh, yeah, to me, that, that's the thing that completely changes the experience for somebody using PowerView. It's a, I drag this table onto a report, gee, some columns suddenly appear. How did it know which columns to put there? <laughs> you yeah. know, that, those sorts of things, yeah. yeah. And again, that's all defined in the model. Yeah, and PowerView um, is you know, extremely visually compelling. Our users will just love it, but... The, th the two things which are also good about, or a couple of things. One is you probably do want to get things where you don't have 100,000 attributes and try and drag those in yep. because it's just too many. Now, the advantage in the PowerView part, though, is that it handles it really quite nicely. It's just, oh, if I've got 100,000, I'll just show you a first view and tell you that there's more. Whereas mm -hmm. in an Excel-like environment, then you can get yourself into pretty deep water pretty quickly. Um, by hooking up to you know large amounts of uh, information, yeah. um, it's worth mentioning though too that PowerView is a tool that issues DAX queries. So at the moment, the Tabular Engine is the only one that does DAX, uh, and so at the moment, PowerView really is only going to do back end into the Tabular models. Although that may well change in the future. Um, yeah, that 
that is going to change. It's been announced that they mm. are going to support Oh, they did that. actually announce yeah, it? Yeah, it has okay, been good. announced. Yeah, we, we're out to say <laughs> oh, that now, Greg. We've got to be careful, Greg and I. Um, yeah, no, it, it is public that that is going to happen now. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it will support. There'll be some limitations supporting multidimensional. Um, but we will be able to use PowerView against multidimensional. And, and of course, that PowerView, as you mentioned, is built into Excel um, 2013. And again, as I said, with Office 2000 and uh, Office 365, you can publish with PowerView reports into that environment, and people can log on and start slicing and dicing using PowerView, which is insane. It's just such a wonderful environment. So. Yeah, the other one that I find PowerView uh, it's interesting is the way you can also publish into PowerPoint as well for presentations. And I've found a number of government and large corporations that are well, just love the idea that they can slide stuff like that into their presentations in PowerPoint uh, and including even things like animations and stuff continue to work. So it's worthwhile pointing out that, yes, that it's brilliant and it, that works really well, but it has to be in SharePoint in that situation. Yeah, you can't do that from the native Excel. The you native, have, yeah. You have to have published it into uh, SharePoint, and then once it's in SharePoint, yep, then you can do the the, yeah. the PowerPoint. Yeah. There's too many it's powers. Quite interesting. Too many powers. Now, for those that are using reporting services, mm. of course, we can just hook that up as well. Yeah, yeah. So basically, um, it can be used as a source like anything else. And the beauty is, it's very fast. So you can create some pretty, pretty quick reports because uh, it's going to hook in and, and get uh, launched by this. Um, yep. One thing I would like uh, to point out. I was going to say report builder as well. Same deal there. Yeah, too, yeah, so. of course. And the, and that is, I guess, more user again, a little bit more user friendly. Um, one yep. thing, just a, a tip, if you like. Um, one of the things users often want to do, and they do it with tabular just the same as they do with multidimensional, is they try and create more like a table report where, you know, here's my customer, here's my customer ID, this is the products they bought, and basically they, a lot of it is in the same dimension or attribute, if you like, and all nested yep. information, and then they turn subtotals off and things. But under the covers, Excel is treating it as though you're trying to nest those things together, and it can... And it doesn't take long for you to put a few attributes to in which you'd think wouldn't cause any issue. And all of a sudden, you've got some very slow-running reports. So just keep in mind yeah. that now that you can write a DAX query directly against Tabular, you can create more of a, a, I guess, a tabular experience by creating your own query and pulling that into an Excel table. Mm. And, and so for those that look at lower-level things, so like MDX traveled inside XMLA, the XML for analysis services, DAX is just another language that travels inside that same wrapper uh, to head off to the server. Yes, yeah. And so what what do you think is still missing uh, that you have in multidimensional models that you so wish you had in tabular models? Oh, there's a few simple things like uh, closing balances. You know, mm -hmm. the, when you do an attribute in a multi-dimensional, you can say, well, this is a, a uh, closing balance. So, for instance, for inventory, you know, you only want what, if you look at any period in time, the inventory level is the what it was at the end of that 
months, you don't add up the inventory snapshots over the month. Yep, exactly. Um, so there's a few things like that. Um, the other thing I've been pestering the boys in Redmond about is really getting some wizards in there to help users with standard stuff like this year compared mm -hmm. to last year and and all those sort of things. Um, again, there's some tricks we can do in multi-dimensional to make uh, some do that generically, and we can sort of do similar tricks, but it's a bit trickier <laughs> in yeah. tabula. So, uh, what else specifically? Do you? Oh, I guess the many to many is a big one. Many to many. Many to many, many yeah, is, is uh, still a big one to me. And in fact, I'd like what I'd like to see is actually a a simple version of the many to many may be released, um, because yeah. which is like a uh, tagging system because that's mm. what I see many to many used for in the most cases. It's just yeah, like, very commonly. Yeah, this yep. customer is both a big customer and in this particular vertical industry. Yeah, they, they, I've got business categories and they are in four of them. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yes, that sort of thing. Yeah. 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 So that's no, good. indeed. I'd like to see that. Yeah, category. that's that's good. Mm. Um, when you build the models, do you still build an underlying dimensional model? Um, yes. We absolutely do, and that can either be real uh, or it can be unreal, <laughs> uh, as in yes. use, basically. And we find that uh, that works pretty well. Um, but yeah, I was going to say every. It's interesting the demonstrations. A lot of the things I see published tend to suggest. Oh, one of the nice things with. Uh, all of this tabular stuff is you can just layer it over the top of the source systems. But I think they're missing a large part of the point about why we didn't build cubes and things over the top of those in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. The um, it's the reason that I love Power Pivot and Tabular and things like that is, and same as you, is we're data professionals, so we understand how to prepare the data and, and get it running. Uh, as a simple example, one of the demos I did was shark attack victims across the world. Yep. And so I built that, grabbed just a single set of data, pulled that in, that was all cool. And I said, well, it's probably not fair really because there's different populations in different parts of the world. So what we really want to do is combine that with population data. So mm. I ran off and found on the internet somewhere that had the population of the various countries. Now, in order for me in Power Pivot and Excel to get those two bits of information working together, it was a pain to create mapping tables yep. because the names were different for the countries and, and one bit of information was in decades. It was a population of the decades. Of course, the other one was a year level, so I had to do mm -hmm. mapping tables for what the decade was. And yeah, The amount of effort to try and do it inside of Excel and Power Pivot was, was horrible, to be frank. <laughs> Mm. Whereas if I brought it in and had it all cleaned up and all Power Pivot did was just say, well, here's the, it would just load it straight in, it would just work. So Yes. Yeah, that, that's, to me, it's a really big thing. I, uh, I, as I said, I see this sort of message all the time, but I think it's the wrong message. I, I, I still like the idea of having an underlying model that's tidied up and is designed for analysis. <laughs> you know, yeah, so, absolutely. So the, uh, I just see these tools as analysis tools that sit over the top of it, same with reporting, same with everything. But there, there still is a, a big job in terms of making that data look right in the first yeah, place. Yeah, and I think... and. I don't know, we, maybe we, between us, Greg, we need to coin a new term like uh, mm. design and decorate or something. I don't know. The, yes. <laughs> but basically, I think, yeah, we need that analytics platform that users can decorate. I think that's yeah. the key. And decoration is either 
adding their own groups information or adding their own data from other places but it's certainly mm. a subset of the data and not the core data at all it's just yeah i want to compare you know what the average earnings is around for employees in other organizations mm. compared to mine it's never going to go in the warehouse yeah but i've got all the earnings of my employees and i want to have a compare it so that would be a good uh, that would be a bit more decoration than normal but yep. to me it's the decoration mm -hmm. Look, so a final, of course, tricky question is the, if you're starting a new project now, do you start thinking tabular or do you start with a multidimensional model or how do you choose? Um, it's a very good point. We actually got a new client right this second who's just gone in and, and done our proposal and our, our first part. It's a large organisation and we're actually proposing to do both um, mm -hmm. on the basis that well, this particular is a bit unusual. We're not quite sure which is going to be um, most useful. Um, but certainly I lean towards tabular very much now, just on the yes. basis that it's easier for users uh, mm -hmm. to support and, and understand, and it is quicker to build. But in a, to a certain extent, it, it actually doesn't matter. <laughs> Because yep. most of the work is actually getting the data together and clean, I'm right? so glad to hear you say that. Because <laughs> uh, I find, look, most of these sort of projects, I find probably 85% of the work maybe is getting the data in the right shape and getting the integration work happening so that yeah. the data stays in the right shape. And the, the if you once you get the data in the right shape, the analysis and reporting is a dream by comparison. Yeah, and you use a, you can use a combination of things. You can use third-party tools. You can use Power Pivot. You can use traditional. It's it just you just need to sort that that part out first. So yeah, yeah, it's certainly not a case of having to choose one or the other. I don't think in this mm -hmm. day and age. I think one thing I stress though is that I I'm also not a fan of doing all that integration work first necessarily um, and so I often get people say look what order do you do the projects in now I don't know if you do the same thing but what I kind of like to do now is I like to use something like Power Pivot to do an initial sort of proof of concept modeling and to suck in a bunch of data so that people can start to play with it once I have that in place I can then start to find out if the user would be able to answer the sort of things they want to be able to answer uh, right up front and then you know once I know that I then have an idea what the model should look like iterate that get it to a point with a bit of dummy data where people can get a good feeling for that and then somebody can go on and do the analysis work while somebody else does all the integration yeah work. It's, it's, it's interesting you should say that we um, we go in uh, for our sprint zero if you like we work in three-week sprints but our sprint zero is a week yep. And at the end of that week, we have a proof of concept in Power that, that the users yes. can actually play with. And because when they actually see it, you know, is this what you mean? You know, and when you're playing with real mm -hmm. data and everything, basically you very quickly iterate what the model's going to look like. Yes. Now, the thing to stress here is it's easy to do because you just take your snapshot of data and away you go. In order yep. to make that repeatable and all of that, there's a lot of work to do. So. So yeah, you've got this beautiful tool in PowerPivot where you can very quickly prototype really what is a working environment, at least an initial mm -hmm. one, and then you go back in and make the data look like that. 
that they, yeah, that, in, the, in a repeatable yeah, fashion. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. And I think the, the other thing is, as you say, it's not then a decision between do I do a tabular or multidimensional. I tend to start with the assumption that I'll do it tabular until I can't. You know, that, that's yeah, a, I, I think that's a very good way to do it, yeah, until you run into something that really it makes more sense for analysis services to do. Yeah, um, and I think there'll be less and less of those as, as time goes that's on. That's right. They'll, right. They'll just keep adding stuff into tabular so that it, it will be on par with yeah. analysis service because it, 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 it's quite frustrating in some ways because obviously you spend a lot of time learning and all about the yeah. MDX and the multi-dimensional mm. environment and you can do some really cool stuff in there um, yeah. and quite sophisticated business rules and that's it's probably the the biggest difference is, is those when you're doing um, quite mm. complex um, relationships between budgets and you know distributing information and things like that. Mm. It's still you can do some really nice stuff. Relatively, I, I think uh, I like to see not underestimating too the effort that goes into getting your head around using DAX appropriately. The um, it, it's kind of interesting that they took the Excel macro language. They seem to have like removed all the cell-related things and then added a bunch of tabular things to, to create DAX in the first place. Mm. But most IT professionals I come across were never Excel power users uh, in, the <laughs> in the first, first place. place. Yeah. This is a bit of a double <laughs> <And> <laughs> so uh, there is no assumption there that they're already totally comfortable with Excel macro language, even though they might have dabbled in it. Yes. Uh, and just the approach you have to take to answer certain questions is is kind of interesting. Uh, I did like, again, I mentioned Marco Russo earlier, but his, his and uh, Alberto Ferrari's book um, where they talked about the initial one on Power Pivot and probably the vast majority of the book was actually on DAX. Uh, and I'd say, in fact, the longest chapter was just on the calculate verb <laughs> <laughs> um, and just getting your head around what on earth you could do with that. Um, and so, yeah, it does take a... I, I just wouldn't underestimate what's involved in sort of wrapping your head a bit around that. Yeah, it's very... Um, it's a, a very interesting paradigm in that with analysis services multidimensional, you had a very steep learning curve right up front. And, yep. you know, a lot of time and effort just to produce even something that's relatively simple hmm. would be my argument. Whereas in the power pivot environment, you can get really quickly with a very performant core stuff up and running. But you're lucky you hit this wall of DAX in yep. no time. It's like, what the mm -hmm. hell? Or you want to do something which you'd think would be relatively simple. It's just, oh, I've got to do what? Like closing balance, <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. You have these right. huge formulas just to work out what the closing balance is. And, yeah. and there's all Quite different ways to do it. And it's just like, well, hang on. Yeah. I, I just want to say closing balance. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, listen, great, Grant. And so, look, where will people come across you or see you in the upcoming time? Well, obviously, I run the, if you're in Sydney, you can come and speak with us at the user group. We meet on the second yep. Tuesday of the month. Um, I, it reminds me I need to go off my ass and actually get my uh, Sydney Pass conference that's coming up probably in March or April. No, April, I think. Mm -hmm. April 20th will be a, a weekend. Um, yeah. That's probably the, the key areas. And the Angry Koala website, of course. Indeed. <laughs> well, listen, thank you so very much for your time today, Greg. Yeah, thank you, Greg. Appreciate <laughs> we'll it. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. We'll see you in the US, no doubt. <laughs> yes. Yeah, bye.